after the year we've all had, we think some forward 2021 planning and the feeling of anticipation is just what is needed for this Christmas morning. And CrimeCon have the perfect gift idea for the true crime enthusiast. Give an unforgettable weekend two whole days of true crime immersive experiences. The weekend will include 50 hours of true crime content where your loved one can see leading true crime experts, meet famous true crime authors, listen to their favorite true crime podcasters, and hear from victims' families and survivors. The CrimeCon Christmas gift box includes one or two tickets, plus two books from leading true crime publisher Bonnier Books UK, which will keep your loved one entertained until we welcome them to CrimeCon in June. You can bring those books to the show and meet the authors in person to sign them. And there's more. I'll be there all weekend, and if you quote Mens Rea, you can claim 10% off this offer. And the first 10 people who buy tickets with my code Mens Rea will get the lovely bonus of a Mens Rea t-shirt. All you have to do is contact me with proof of purchase. Listen, it has been a tough year, and I know it's hard to make plans and then get your hopes dashed over and over and over again like we have this year. But honestly, looking forward to events like CrimeCon UK 2021 is what's keeping me going. I'm so excited to meet all the other podcasters and personalities from the true crime world, and I'm absolutely dying to meet all of you. So head on down to the show notes, click those links, get your tickets, and we'll see you in 2021. You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Redvers Bickley. of women were celebrating a 25th birthday in a house in Rill, Wales. Tyler Denton was hosting the party for her new girlfriend, Hayley Barnett. It was supposed to be a girls' night, but Tyler's roommate, Redvers James Bickley, was hanging around. Bickley was drinking too much and was becoming more and more agitated. In the course of the evening, the women, Tyler, her sisters Shannon and Cody, and her new partner, Hayley, decided to go for a drive. Bickley remained in the house where he became more aggressive and smashed a glass, cutting his hand and getting blood in a number of places as well as leaving glass on the carpet. When the women returned back to the house at around half eleven, they began cleaning up the mess and the night was coming to a close. Cody and Shannon were getting ready to leave. The mood in the house had shifted and it was clear that Bickley had irritated the women who had been looking forward to a girls' night in. After going for a quick walk in anger, Bickley was sitting on the stairs. Cody was on the couch about to leave when Bickley stood up and said in an unusual tone, let's begin. Then Bickley launched himself at Cody, pulling her back and slicing her cheek with a knife he had pulled from his pocket. He pulled Cody to the ground and repeatedly tried to stab her in the throat 
Tyler ran to help her sister, and their other sister Shannon was close behind them. Bickley stabbed Shannon in the back of the head and knocked her to the floor, as Tyler and Cody tried to run out the front door. But Bickley followed them and knocked them to the ground outside the house, where he attacked Tyler and Cody. Shannon and Haley ran towards the main street to get help, but they were spotted by Bickley, who stopped stabbing Cody to chase Shannon. Shannon was screaming for help, saying, quote, he's got a knife, he's stabbed us, end quote. Bickley threw Shannon to the ground and began stabbing her over and over in the head, neck and back. As he thrust the knife into Shannon's body, Bickley said, quote, Red's back, Red's revenge, end quote. A frenzied flurry of blows was directed at Shannon until she stopped moving. Once he thought he'd killed Shannon, Bickley ran in the same direction Haley had gone, but Shannon was still alive and managed to get her mobile phone and call her father, Paul. She told him that she and her friends needed help, that Red had stabbed everyone and that they were dying. While on the phone to her father, Shannon saw Bickley turn back and begin to come towards her again. Shannon dragged herself along the ground and hid in some bushes which were beside the nearest house. Thankfully, Bickley didn't notice her and passed by in the direction of his own house. Then a woman opened the window and beckoned Shannon to safety. The woman took her inside and called 999 before administering first aid. Meanwhile, back outside the house, Tyler and Cody were trying to get help. They were screaming out and Tyler began to lose consciousness, saying to her sister, quote, I'm going to die. A neighbour, Christopher Campbell, heard the screaming and looked out his window. He saw the initial attack and, as Bickley pursued Shannon and Haley, Mr. Campbell could hear Bickley growling. Cody dragged Tyler into some bushes to try and hide, but Bickley returned and began stabbing them both over and over again. Then their father Paul arrived after Shannon had called him. He noticed that the front door to the house was wide open and he knew something was terribly wrong. He then heard his daughter screaming, quote, we're over here. Paul saw Cody and Tyler on the ground with Bickley standing over them. At this stage, Bickley was still holding the knife and was attempting to stab himself in the neck. When Bickley saw Paul, he ran at him with the knife but missed. Then Bickley turned back around to attack Cody again, and Paul jumped on Bickley's back to try and stop him, but the man reached over his shoulder and stabbed Paul in the head and neck. Cody and Tyler managed to overpower Bickley and take the knife from him. Once he was unarmed, Bickley ran out of the cul-de-sac. The assault was over. By then, Tyler was unresponsive. Cody and Paul were both seriously injured, and Paul was calling out for help. At one point, Cody asked her father to just come back to where Tyler was lying so that they could all die together. Eventually, Haley managed to flag down a car, and the driver brought her straight to the police station. Emergency services arrived at the scene outside of Tyler and Bickley's house just before midnight, and Tyler, Cody, and Paul were all rushed to the hospital. Tyler told the paramedics that she couldn't breathe and she knew she was dying. She went into cardiac arrest and could not be resuscitated. Tyler was pronounced dead at 1.31am. 
officers found Bickley near an electricity substation. He told the police, quote, I killed someone. I'm guilty. I confess to murder. Three degrees. Bodily harm on four. End quote. When he was asked to provide his name, he told them it was complicated and to just call him James. Bickley immediately said that he was sorry and that it wasn't justice that he would live. He also asked a female officer to hold his hand. Later in police interviews, Bickley told the investigators that he was in love with Tyler, but she did not want to be in a relationship with him. He feared that Tyler would move out of the house they shared together to be with her new girlfriend, Haley, and when he felt as though he wasn't wanted at the party that night, he'd snapped. Tyler and Bickley had met years earlier, while they were both working for his mother's cleaning company. The two became close friends, and Tyler had lived with Bickley and his mother Claire at one point. They'd also lived together while in Tenerife. Around four months before the attack, Tyler had moved back to Rill from the Wrexham area, and Bickley moved in with her. They had separate rooms and seemed to get along just fine. Tyler had taken a job as a cleaner in the Cheshire Oaks shopping park, and it was here that she met Haley Barnett. They became a couple shortly after. On the night Bickley attacked Tyler, her sisters and her father Paul, Tyler had been hosting a birthday party for her new girlfriend. The girls were expecting to be on their own in the home that night to relax and enjoy themselves, but Bickley arrived at the house at around 9pm and was drinking whiskey. He was falling asleep on the table, so the women decided to head out for a drive without him. Shannon wasn't drinking, so they left in her car. Bickley told the police that that night he had felt left out and had seen messages on Tyler's iPad that showed that Tyler did not want him around during the gathering. Bickley said that he had an alter ego he had named James, like his middle name. He said that he would envision a character dressing in black, killing people by stabbing them. Bickley explained that he felt like his life was on a downward spiral and that this James controlled his dark thoughts. He had gone into a rage when the women left the house and smashed a glass before cutting himself with an orange and black lock knife he kept in his room, which he then put into his pocket. When the women returned to the house after going for a drive, they discovered that Bickley was now wearing all black clothing and his blood was smeared on the door, light switch and carpet. After the women cleaned up the mess he'd created, he pulled a knife from his pocket and started stabbing Cody. He felt as though they had all been looking at him, as if he was weird, and said that he took the knife and began plunging it into Cody's neck. In the interview, he claimed he didn't remember what happened after that, only that when he went to check on Tyler, he saw her covered in blood on the floor, and she had said to him, quote, I'm dead now, end quote. Bickley told the police that he remembered Paul tackling him and that he'd stabbed him in the neck to get him off. And so, on September 12th, 21-year-old Redvers James Bickley was charged with the murder of Tyler Denton and the attempted murder of Cody, Shannon and Paul Denton, who were recovering in hospital. Tyler Denton's family released a statement to the Abergale Journal that read, quote, She was a gorgeous daughter, loving sister, much adored auntie and special friend to all. Always referred to as our little mate, 
She was loved by everyone and will be missed immensely. Love you to the moon and back, now and always, our little princess. End quote. Tyler was a great football player. Her club, Kinmel Bay Ladies, paid tribute to her on Facebook and postponed their matches as they were too heartbroken to play without her. During a cup game against Bangor in October, they donned black armbands with a pink ribbon in Tyler's memory, and there was a moment of silence in her honour. Bill Darwin, the chairman of the club, told the Daily Post that Tyler's death had a big impact on the club. He said, quote, Tyler was such a gifted player. She was an excellent goal scorer and was well known throughout North Wales in the football world, end quote. Tyler's funeral was held at St. Thomas Church in Rill, a seaside town in northern Wales. The mourners wore bright colours and said their goodbyes as What About Us by the artist Pink was played, Tyler's favourite singer. On the 16th of September, Bickley's sister received a text message that read, quote, I'll fucking murder you like you did my sister. Tell your mum I'll murder her, end quote. The texter also called her a disgusting little slag. The messages were sent by Tyler's brother, Andy Lee Dale Denton. Mr. Denton was summoned to Clandondo Magistrates Court in early October of that year. He'd been charged with making threats to kill, but they had been reduced to the charge of sending malicious communications, to which Mr. Denton pleaded guilty. Mr. Denton's barrister said that the offence was committed just days after his sister was murdered, and his father and other sisters were fighting for their lives in hospital. He stated that they were sent because his client couldn't cope with his grief, which didn't make the offence condonable, but was understandable. According to the Real Journal, Mr. Denton stated that he was truly remorseful for what he had done and he was embarrassed by his actions. The judge in the case, Justice Gwynne Jones, sentenced Andy Lee Denton to eight weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months. He was also ordered to pay an £85 fine and a surcharge of £135, as well as being banned from contacting any members of the Bickley family. On the 27th of October 2017, Bickley appeared at a plea hearing in Mould Crown Court via video link from the Manchester prison where he was being detained. When asked how he pleaded to the murder charge and the three counts of attempted murder, Bickley entered a not guilty plea. Those in attendance were shocked and appalled at his plea. Tyler's family were still physically recovering from their wounds and now Bickley's plea would mean that they had to go through the ordeal of a trial, which was scheduled to begin the following spring. Redfer's Bickley's trial for murder began on March 19th, 2018 in Mould Crown Court under Mr. Justice Simon Picken. Mr. John Philpotts for the prosecution told the jury that the accused ended what should have been a celebration with a brutal knife attack that left a woman dead and her two sisters and father seriously injured. The barrister alleged that Bickley was obsessed and infatuated with Tyler Denton and launched an attack on the women after he felt left out. The jury were shown body cam footage of Bickley's arrest on the night of September 9th and 10th, 
as well as footage of officers arriving at the scene of the crime. The prosecuting barrister, John Philpotts, read the police statements to the court. A female officer told the court that she had seen Bickley near an electrical substation and joined the pursuit armed with tasers. The officers had subdued him and Bickley had admitted guilt. The officers noticed that the man had injuries to his neck and needed medical attention, but the defendant wanted the officers to attend to the people he had injured instead of him. She recalled Bickley had said, quote, I'm going to live, that is not justice, end quote. In the police car, Bickley had asked an officer, quote, do you know how hard it is to love someone and not have them love you back, end quote. By then, the officer noticed Bickley seemed calm and was freely speaking about what he had done. Another officer wrote a statement about arriving at the crime scene where he saw Cody, Paul and Tyler covered in blood. Cody was holding the knife they had taken from Bickley and approached the officer, who told her to put it down. She told police that it was the knife Bickley had used and they'd taken it from him. Cody then collapsed and was tended to by other officers. Tyler was unresponsive on the ground nearby and Paul Denton was covered in blood with injuries to his head and neck. Shannon was taken to hospital by ambulance from the house. She had managed to escape after playing dead. Cody, Paul and Tyler were also taken in, but Tyler could not be saved and died shortly after Paul was wheeled up from A&E to say his goodbyes. The court heard that the post-mortem was carried out by pathologist Dr. Brian Rogers. He testified that Tyler had sustained 15 stab wounds and died as a result of shock and hemorrhage. The fatal wound had hit an artery near her heart and was nine centimetres deep. She also had damage to her left lung, which caused it to collapse, as well as a laceration to her liver. Four of the stab wounds were on her back. Four were on the front of her body and she also had defensive wounds to her arms and hands. Eight of the wounds she sustained had penetrated deep enough to cause significant localised bleeding, but the most prominent were to her neck, which had cut an artery and caused massive internal blood loss. Dr Rogers said it would have taken moderate force to inflict the wounds. Shannon Denton had five lacerations to her back, one to her right breast, one to her right shoulder, two to her scalp and multiple injuries to her left hand and fingers. Paul Denton had suffered deep wounds to his hand and neck. Cody Denton had sustained a number of stab wounds to her face, neck, head, left hand and arm. The laceration to her neck had caused damage to her occipital artery and neck muscles. This injury was described as potentially fatal and Dr. Rogers said that it was, quote, fortuitous that serious injury was not caused, end quote. Shannon Denton bravely took to the witness box, shielded by a screen. The court process is often difficult for witnesses, but especially those who are victims. Special adaptations are frequently put in place for vulnerable witnesses to give them more comfort and security. In this case, the screen allowed Shannon to testify without having to look at Bickley or have him looking at her. She described the events of the night in question. 
Shannon told the court that she and her sister Cody had brought food and drinks to their sister Tyler's house to celebrate Haley Barnett's 25th birthday. The night was going well, but Tyler was a little annoyed by Bickley's intrusion on the party, and they all left to go on the drive, leaving Bickley in the house. After they got back to the house, Cody heard groaning from behind the door, and when they opened it, there was blood on the floor and light switch from Bickley's hand. Shannon said that Bickley was swaying back and forth. His eyes were rolling when he angrily left the house for a short time before coming back and sitting on the stairs. As she was getting ready to leave and take Cody home, Bickley stood up and stabbed Cody in the cheek before throwing her to the floor where he continued to stab her repeatedly. Tyler tried to help but was also attacked. When Shannon pushed Bickley off them, he followed her towards the front door and stabbed her in the back of the head. She was knocked to the floor and when she was able to get up, she saw Bickley again attacking Cody and Tyler in the driveway. She ran out of the cul-de-sac calling for help and saying that Bickley, or Red as he was known, had a knife. Bickley caught up to her as she was knocking on a door and was saying that phrase, Red's revenge, Red returns. He continued to stab her in the head, neck and back until she stopped moving. Shannon told the jury it was her belief that Bickley thought he'd killed her, but he was wrong. Shannon then rang her father, Paul, who told her to call 999. However, she didn't have time to make that call before she heard Bickley coming back towards her. Luckily, a woman took her inside and phoned the emergency services, who arrived shortly after. Haley Barnett had managed to flag down a driver, Harry Richards, who drove her to the police station. As it turned out, Mr. Richards worked with Redvers Bickley in KFC and was in the area to see him. Earlier that night, Bickley had sent a Snapchat message to a friend who was with Mr. Richards that indicated he was roaming the streets drunk and was depressed. When they turned onto Bickley's street, they saw a girl in a dressing gown with no shoes running towards them, screaming. They pulled over and she said that there had been a party and someone was going crazy before asking them if they knew Red. The woman was Haley. As she was speaking to Mr. Richards, Bickley came around the corner holding something long and bright. Mr. Richards shouted at Haley to get into the car right away. Bickley then charged at the car as it reversed away at speed. Then they drove straight to the police station. Mr. Richards told the court that he'd known Bickley from work and that the defendant had told him that he had been in a relationship with Tyler for four years. Richards said he thought Bickley was a bit geeky but harmless. Redvers Bickley's friend, Travis Climo, testified too. He had been close with Bickley since school and they had a lot in common. They both enjoyed gaming and comics. Earlier, on September 9th, Bickley had been to Mr. Climo's house for a takeaway meal. Mr. Climo said that, quote, he was normal, happy, having a good few laughs. Nothing struck me as odd about him, end quote. Then Paul Denton took the stand. He recounted the night that he and his daughters were stabbed and that Tyler had lost her life. He told the jury that he was at home with his wife Nicola when Shannon rang him. 
He said she was panicking on the phone, saying, quote, Red is chasing us, trying to stab us with a knife, end quote. Mr. Denton said he couldn't comprehend what his daughter was saying. He told her to call 999 and raced to his car and drove to the house. The front door was wide open and he could see Cody in the bushes nearby. Tyler was on the ground and Bickley looked like he was stabbing himself in the chin. Cody cried out to him to tell him where they were. Mr. Denton then said Bickley shouted, Paul, before trying to stab him. Mr. Denton was able to avoid the knife by jumping backwards and Bickley turned back towards Cody and Tyler. Mr. Denton detailed for the court how he jumped on Bickley's back to stop him and he saw the knife coming over Bickley's shoulder where it hit him six times before they fell to the ground. Cody helped her father keep Bickley pinned down while he shouted at Mr. Denton, quote, I'm going to kill you. If you want me to stop, you're going to have to kill me, end quote. Bickley eventually surrendered the knife to Mr. Denton before running screaming out of the cul-de-sac. Paul tried to catch him, but he couldn't. Then he heard Cody shouting for him, so Mr. Denton returned back to where his daughters were, near some bushes in a neighbouring garden. Cody asked her father to come over so that they could die together. Mr. Denton tried to speak to Tyler, but she was unresponsive. With that, he began screaming for help, and noticed a man recording the incident through a window in another house. Jason Robert Lloyd was the neighbour who had caught the attack on camera. The defendant's barrister, Patrick Harrington, told the jury that Mr. Denton can be heard in the recording asking Bickley, what the fuck is going on? To which Bickley responds, quote, I don't know, it's him, it's him, end quote. When Mr. Denton asked him who he meant, Bickley said, quote, you have to kill me, Paul. Kill me now. I can't stop. I have already stabbed yourself. I'm dead anyway. You've got to kill me. End quote. On the fourth day of the trial, Redvers Bickley took to the stand. He told the jury that what he had done was not him. He said that he had been struggling with his alter ego, James, who was too strong. Bickley said that he had known about this violent side of him for years, since his youth but he'd managed to keep it under control. He said that he'd named this side James when he was around 12 or 13, and that he always knew it was there. Bickley told the jury about nightmares he would have as a child, about there being two sides of him, a good side and a bad side, each fighting to control him. During his testimony, the defendant explained that the voice inside of him began giving him violent thoughts when he was about 15 years old, and it felt like a constant battle in his mind. He said that as time went on, he began losing the fight against the bad side. Bickley said that on the night of the attacks, he did not recall changing into black clothing, but he remembered getting the knife. He said he felt like he had annoyed Tyler, and that he was depressed. He said, quote, I remember getting up, walking to Cody and stabbing her in the neck. I don't know why. I did not feel anger towards her or anything like that. End quote. During direct examination from the defence, he admitted that he probably deliberately targeted Cody's neck. The accused then said that the next thing he remembered was being outside, walking away from the house. When he had looked at his hands, he saw that they were covered in blood, and he went back to check on Tyler. 
Bickley told the court that he did not recall stabbing Tyler or Shannon. When he got to where Tyler was lying, he saw that she was covered in blood and he realised that he must have caused it. Then he said he remembered being on the ground and fighting Paul off him. Bickley said, quote, I tried to push him off first, but I couldn't. He was too heavy. I remember hitting him with my right hand. I still had the knife and I accept that I stabbed Paul, end quote. After this, Bickley said he recalled going through gardens and being on the roof of a house where he called his mother at five minutes past midnight. His mother's partner had answered and he'd told her, quote, I've done something stupid. I love you. Tell the kids I love them, end quote. He gave his mother the PIN number to his bank account and told her to pass all of his money to the children in the family. On the stand, Bickley denied being obsessed with Tyler and said that he saw her as a friend or a family member. He said he didn't recall telling the police that he was in love with Tyler, and he went on to confirm that he had meant it when he said he was sorry for what he had done and that he deserved to die. Bickley insisted to the jury that he never wanted to hurt anyone and that it was the other side of him, James, that had taken control. A psychiatrist testified for the defence, Dr. Noir Thomas. Dr. Thomas said he believed Bickley suffered from a mental disorder that made it difficult for him to control his behaviour. Dr. Thomas said that Bickley's behaviour and ideas best fit the criteria for a diagnosis of schizotypal disorder and that he displayed 7 of 14 possible symptoms. Dr. Thomas said that Bickley was paranoid and believed that others were plotting against him and disliked him. The psychiatrist said that the dual identity Bickley displayed was borderline psychotic and that Bickley's disorder impaired his mental function and his ability to control his behaviour. In interviews with Bickley, Dr. Thomas said the defendant indicated that he was hoping for a relationship with Tyler Denton, but that she did not feel the same. Bickley also tried to engage with other women, but was shot down and blocked. Bickley also told the doctor that he watched porn and liked female domination. The defendant had revealed to the psychiatrist that he was bullied and would imagine his alter ego stabbing and mutilating his tormentors. The court was told that Bickley attended St. Mary's Primary School and then went to Rill High School. The doctor said that Bickley had hearing difficulties as a child, which led to delayed speech and a speech impediment. Bickley was picked on in school because he spoke differently. When the bullies learned that Bickley's mother was in a same-sex relationship, he was tormented for that also. Bickley had recalled an incident where he was pushed down a hill and could not walk afterwards. He said that he eventually found respite from the bullying by making them laugh. He used his humour to make them like him. Bickley's parents had a cleaning business and he left school at 16 to work with them. Tyler Denton moved in with Bickley when he was 17 and she was 21. She had fallen out with her parents and she got on well with Bickley. Bickley had claimed that the two had a sexual relationship, but that it was not exclusive. In 2014, Tyler and Bickley moved to Tenerife to live in a villa with his parents, but they moved home to Wales six months later. They both got jobs, and in 2017, they moved into the house where the attack began. 
Bickley was working in a KFC at Rithlan, and Tyler was working as a cleaner. It was here that she met her girlfriend, Haley. Bickley said he was happy for Tyler. Dr. Sandeep Matthews, a consultant psychiatrist, testified for the prosecution about his interactions with the defendant. Dr. Matthews said that the voice in Bickley's head was self-reported, and there was no corroborative evidence to support the claims. No one had ever seen Bickley being controlled or disturbed by this supposed alter ego. Dr. Matthews explained that his opinion was different from Dr. Thomas's in that he believed Bickley was socially awkward and had difficulty in relationships, but that he was not entirely convinced that Bickley couldn't exercise self-control or that he suffered from schizotypal behaviour. Referring to the footage of the defendant recorded during the attack, Dr. Matthews asserted that this showed that Bickley was composed in his actions, and he said that being intoxicated may have prevented Bickley from thinking clearly, but he went on a walk to clear his head and still acted violently, which was a decision. Dr. Matthews told the court that he did not believe that Bickley's actions could be explained by a condition saying, quote, even if he had a medical condition, there was a normal range of human behaviour and emotions, including anger, end quote. The state of Redvers Bickley's mind continued to be the focus of questioning while he was on the stand. His mental state was of the utmost importance in the case, as whether or not he had suffered from diminished responsibility was the crux of the entire defence's case. This would mean that Bickley had lacked the capability to control his actions or emotions and so could not be found criminally responsible for those actions. In the event that the jury accepted that Bickley had diminished responsibility, they must find him not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. During the direct examination, Bickley's barrister had asked him if he'd ever given in to the violent thoughts before, and the defendant answered that he had assaulted his sister's boyfriend in the past. The barrister also asked him if the thoughts included murder, to which the defendant answered, quote, Yes, they are like sometimes they can be visions that you were doing it there and then. Other times it's like watching someone else doing it, sometimes with a knife, sometimes with a sword. End quote. Bickley had a collection of swords, but the knife he used to kill Tyler Denton and seriously injure three members of her family was a lock knife he had bought in 2015, which he kept beside his bed. He told the court he kept it for protection and had only used it to cut his own hand on occasion. The jury also heard that the police had found journals in Bickley's bedroom. One of the entries read, You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. My younger self was so full of morals, things he would not do, lines he would not cross. I've crossed them all. There can be no rules or lines if you are to be truly free. You must be willing to do whatever it takes to make the world a better place. It becomes easier once you separate yourself, become two people in a way, one persona to blend in and the other to do the unspeakable things that must be done. 
end quote. The prosecution accused Bickley of using the alter ego as an excuse for the things that he did on the night in question, and alleged that he was carrying out the fantasies he wrote about in his journal. In response, Bickley said that James had written some of these entries. During the cross-examination of Bickley by Mr. Philpotts, the defendant said that he did not seek treatment because he did not want to be regarded as a freak and would prefer to die instead. Mr. Philpotts then asked him about a journal entry that Bickley had written that said, quote, I am not the first and I hope not to be the last of our order, end quote. Bickley replied, quote, James is generations ahead of me, end quote. Mr. Philpotts said that the entries were fantasies that Bickley had eventually carried out. He asked the defendant about comments he made in a police interview where he said he thought about stabbing Tyler in the throat while she was asleep before. Mr. Philpotts asserted that Bickley had done exactly what he imagined doing, and he'd also done it to Cody, Shannon and Paul Denton. A few weeks before the attack, Bickley had written in his journal, quote, kill them all, leave no survivors, end quote. Mr. Philpotts asked Bickley if that was what he had intended to do, and Bickley answered no. It was the prosecuting counsel's contention that the persona of James was part of Bickley's fantasy and that he was no different to anyone else, saying, quote, you were simply overcome by rage, you lost your temper and snapped, end quote. The cross-examination of the defendant concluded evidence in the trial. In his closing statements, Mr. Philpotts for the prosecution said to the jury that there may have been times when they questioned if they were in the real world, as this was such a complex case. It was the prosecution's argument that Bickley was not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of the murders and had carried out a fantasy after losing his temper when he felt jilted by the woman he was in love with. Bickley's defence barrister, Patrick Harrington, said that his client was suffering from a condition that impaired his ability to control his behaviour and emotions. It was his belief that the right verdict was manslaughter, not murder. Mr Harrington told the jury that they could look at Bickley's behaviour as a manifestation of a mental health disorder. It was a fact that Bickley had carried out the killings and attacks but his mental state was in dispute. If the jury accepted the defence that Bickley was suffering from a condition that meant he was not in control, they would have to find him not guilty of murder. The jury deliberated over the course of three days, trying to decide whether to accept the prosecution's contention that the defendant was a fantasist who was infatuated with a woman who would never love him back and that he was fully aware of what he was doing when he carried out the attacks. The jury also had the option of believing the defence's position that Bickley had diminished responsibility. On the 28th of March, the jury of six men and six women returned to the courtroom with the verdicts for the four charges. For the charge of murdering Tyler Denton, Bickley was found guilty by a 10-2 majority. The same majority found him guilty of the attempted murder of Paul Denton. For the charges of attempting to murder Cody Denton and Shannon Denton, Bickley was found guilty by a unanimous decision. 
There were cheers and claps from the gallery as the verdict was read, but Bickley sat silent in the dock, his eyes facing down. A life sentence is the mandatory punishment for murder in Wales, but the judge, Justice Simon Picken, had discretion in determining the minimum time Bickley would have to serve before becoming eligible for parole. Bickley was remanded to Strangeways Prison as a Category A prisoner until his sentencing hearing a few weeks later. On the 18th of April 2018, Redvers Bickley was brought to Mould Crown Court for this sentencing hearing, once more before Mr Justice Picken. A number of victim impact statements were read for consideration by the judge. A statement written by Paul Denton, Tyler's father, who had also been seriously injured while trying to save his daughters, was read by a junior prosecutor. In it, Mr. Denton detailed the guilt he felt at not being able to save Tyler, and the guilt that overcame him for continuing his life and feeling joy at the things he liked to do, because Tyler was no longer present. Mr. Denton said that the events had changed him. He hated feeling like he couldn't protect his family, and he felt anger that Tyler's life was taken for nothing. Cody Denton spoke about the countless stab wounds she had sustained in the attack and how she lost her independence during her recovery because she could no longer do things for herself. She said, quote, I have never been told the exact number of injuries which I suffered, as medical staff said they lost count, there were so many, end quote. Speaking about how she had been unable to feed or take care of herself, she continued, quote, It was specifically bad after the attack, but I am still feeling the effects now. Still have limited hand movement in both my right hand and left arm. I'm still receiving medical treatments for my hand. I couldn't move my neck for weeks properly after the attack and I still have not regained the full range of movement. I still can't be alone anywhere. I have never been alone since the attack. I'm scared someone will come and get me and attack me again. End quote. Cody also spoke about her guilt over Tyler's death and the pain she felt since losing her sister. She had said that they were a close-knit family and there was only ten months in age between her and Tyler. Tyler was her little sister and she could not save her. Cody said that she tried the best she could but it wasn't enough and she'd have to live with that every day. Shannon Denton spoke of the physical scars that served as a reminder of that horrible night every time she looked in the mirror. She felt anxious meeting anyone new and worried that they could be capable of doing the same thing Bickley had done. Tyler's mum, Nicola, described the pain she felt watching her family fall apart, saying that she'd even contemplated taking her own life. Her sons blamed themselves for not being there and her daughters felt guilty that they had survived when Tyler didn't. Nicola said, quote, I live with what I saw at the scene and what I saw at the hospital. I will never forget seeing Tyler attached to hospital machines at the end. My life seems to have turned into an existence, and at the moment, I'm unable to see a future without Tyler, end quote. Judge Pickens said it wasn't clear why Bickley did what he did on the night he attacked Tyler, Cody Shannon and Paul Denton. He said that the prosecution suggested it was because he had been in love with Tyler or that he was carrying out a fantasy 
but Judge Picken said he was inclined to conclude that the reason would likely never be known. After summarizing the case and the events that unfolded on the night the previous September, Judge Picken said that it was clear that the lives of the Tyler family were forever changed and commended them on conducting themselves with admirable restraint and considerable dignity throughout what was a harrowing trial. The judge explained that the law only allowed for a mandatory life sentence to be passed for the offence of murder, but that he must specify a minimum term. The starting point for the minimum term for a person who takes a weapon to the scene of a murder with intent to commit any offence, or for use as a weapon, and uses it, is 25 years. The judge said that this fact was not in dispute. Bickley had taken a knife to the scene. With 25 years as a starting point, the judge then had to take into account any aggravating and mitigating factors. Contrary to the prosecution's allegations, Judge Picton said that the attack may not have been entirely premeditated or planned, but also that it may not have been a wholly spontaneous attack. The judge decided that it would also be appropriate to take into account that Bickley had been convicted of three attempted murders and that the sentence for those should run concurrently. The mitigating factors were that the offender suffered from a mental disorder that lowered his degree of culpability and that he was young, 21 years of age. The judge also took into account the fact that Bickley had shown remorse almost immediately. The judge sentenced Redvers James Bickley to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 30 years for the murder of Tyler Denton. He also imposed three concurrent life sentences with minimum terms of 10 years for the attempted murders of Paul, Cody and Shannon Denton. Judge Picton reminded the defendant and the public that the minimum term is just a minimum term before he could be considered for release and that should he ever be granted release, he would remain on license for the rest of his life. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mens Rea Pod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week to Caitlin Venoni, Jenny McCann, Dominic Burke, Laura Parisi, and Sharon Culligan. A big thanks also to Nicola Long, Peggy LePage, and Lauren Yeager, who have upped their pledges. Thanks so much to everyone who has signed up and to everyone who continues to support the show. It's hugely important to be able to keep Mens Rea going, and along with those warm fuzzies of helping out, you get ad-free and bonus episodes as well as nifty merch. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Thanks also to our sponsors for this week, ExpressVPN, Best Fiends, BetterHelp, and June's Journey. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports this show, So head to the show notes and get yourself some great products and services. Our theme music is Quinn's song, The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This episode was researched and written by the amazing Eileen McFarlane of the Crime Lapse podcast. Mens Rea is produced by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. Finally, 
I want to wish every single one of my listeners a happy holiday season and best wishes for the new year. Please note also I'm taking a teeny tiny break before the first episode of 2021 drops. You can expect something in your feeds on the 13th of January. And let's all hope that 2021 is a far less interesting year than this one has been. And with that, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Christine, and I'd like to introduce you to the True Crime Files podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on mysterious disappearances and unsolved murders. Every two weeks, we'll be releasing an episode that'll help you get to know a case really well without having to invest a lot of your time. Derived from the articles upon the True Crime Files website, you'll find that our show covers a diversity of victims and perspectives. You'll probably also notice that our episodes are narrated by Scott Fuller from the Frozen Truth and Status Pending Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the True Crime Files today so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, being a part of our true crime community, and helping to shine a light on cases that might otherwise be overlooked or underreported.